Hey, architecture firm owners and emerging leaders, get ready for unparalleled insight into the development of a world-class architecture firm and a worldwide organization driving the digital transformation of the design and construction industry with Build Smart, the podcast that's changing how our profession operates. We share the incredible stories behind innovation in the building industry with my friend and co-host, Patrick McLaney, FAIA, former CEO of the international architecture firm, HOK. You know, Yamasaki's office or firm lasted during his lifetime. And when he passed away, I think that was the end of the Yamasaki office. Helmut did not want that. He wanted a firm that would live out and grow beyond the founders. In season one, discover the untold stories behind HOK's meteoric rise, from 150 employees in St. Louis to a powerhouse with over 1,900 staff members and 27 offices worldwide. You know, they weren't as polite as the Kojima people. That was just boom. And anytime you have a creditor, whether it's Kojima or the bank, that wants their money, unless you can raise money someplace else, you are out of business. Bankrupt. Bankrupt. And hold on tight for season two, where Patrick takes us on a new adventure as chairman of Building Smart International, shaping the future of digital transformation in the design, construction, and operation of built assets. Ian Howell, Ken Harold, and I, Ken was my technical representative from HOK. The three of us took a tour of Europe of five cities in five days. Very busy time. Simply follow the link in the show notes to subscribe to Build Smart Now and uncover lessons that will transform you and your architecture firm. This is the Entree Architect Podcast, Episode 88. Go Junior! Welcome back to the Entree Architect Podcast. My name is Mark Arlapage, and this is the podcast dedicated to a successful life as a small firm architect. Whether you have plans to someday start your own firm, whether you're in the process of launching a startup, or you might be an experienced small firm architect just trying to make a difference, this podcast is for you. My goal is to inspire you to build a better business so that you may pursue your purpose with passion and live the life of your dreams. Leaders of small firms are experiencing many of the same challenges as leaders of large firms. Leadership transition, balancing, or or as I say, integrating our firms and our families, sort of work-life balance. The equity and architecture issue. My friend Rosa Shang calls it the missing 32%. There's a lot of things going on in our profession, and we're all dealing with those things. And as architects and leaders, we all have our issues, and we're all struggling to find ways to be successful in the many roles to which we have committed ourselves. Bottom line, we're stressed, and we're overwhelmed. And if we don't do something about it, we're going to burn out, and it's going to get much worse. Stress unmanaged will lead to real physical health issues. I know. I'm dealing with this stuff myself. It's real. The dangers of stress are real. So today on the Entree Architect podcast, I've invited business management consultant and executive coach Jane Walton to join us and discuss this very serious issue, how to avoid burnout as an architect. (music) 
This episode of the Entree Architect podcast is sponsored by the Entree Architect Report. That's my free weekly newsletter. Subscribe at entrearchitect.com slash newsletter. Jane Walton, welcome to the Entrepreneur Architect podcast. Oh, thank you very much for having me. Glad to be here. I'm so happy that you're here with me today. You're, you're not an architect, but no. ar- architecture is very much in your blood. I look like an architect. I'm not an architect, I'm told. <laughs> you do. You do look like an architect. You have you have the, the, the round Rousier yes, glasses. Very nice. I mean you would instantly be recognized as an architect. So it's definitely uh, running through your veins somehow. Um, and your and your dad's an architect, right? And so that's my that's... dad's an architect and he stopped practicing when his hand became too shaky to do a line, a rendering. So uh, yeah. that was in his early eighties. Yeah, that's that's great. But you're a business consultant, you're a business management consultant, and, and an executive coach. You have over 20 years of uh, working with leaders in, in business and in the architecture, engineering, and construction industries. And we've connected through Charette Venture Group, uh, where you recently joined their team as a consultant, and they've recently teamed up with Entrepreneur Architect to take Entrepreneur Architect to the next level. Uh, Charette's an organization that's investing in small firm architects and helping them build strong, profitable businesses. So thank you for being part of that and for, for growing, uh, helping those firms grow. Uh, and as Charette grows, they're not only going to grow their network of small firm, uh, small firms, they're also growing uh, this team of consultants to sort of help those firms. And so it's a, it's a really interesting idea uh, and uh, one that I'm really happy to be part of. And I, and I know you feel the same way. Very much so, yes. In April, on your website, janewaltonconsulting.com, you posted a, uh, an article uh, titled Moments of Clarity. And it was about how we as leaders sometimes create our own storms. We sort of create our own factories of, of self-created stress, these stress factories that, that very often are self-induced. Um, and you also talk about in that article a little bit about how we can resolve some of that stress just by finding clarity in our lives and, and, and the things that we're doing. Uh, so I'd like that to be the subject that we talk about today, uh, because I know that that many of my audience, leaders in small firms uh, and sole proprietors, are feeling that stress, feeling that overwhelm. And and uh, and I could speak from personal experience with all the things that I'm trying to accomplish here at Entrepreneur Architect, as well as with Five Cat Studio and in my life. Um, I know that I'm feeling a tremendous amount of stress and a lot of it is just choices that I've made, uh, and things that I've done. And so, so I think that'll be a great, uh, conversation. Yeah. Uh, I think it's, it's timely and it's only going to become more timely, uh, in this day and age. Yeah. Yeah. But before we get into that, just like we do on every episode, when, when we have a, a guest here at Entrepreneur Architect, I'd like to hear your your origin story. I'd like to hear your background and sort of go back as far as you'd like to go. Uh, tell us what inspired you to become the person you are today and kind of give us the, the story of your journey to, to where you are today. Oh, I'm happy to do that. Um, so one of the first jobs I had was actually in an architecture firm, my father's firm. And um, I think he had six children so that he had instant... Um, you know, staffing potential uh, to run blueprints. And I attribute not being an architect to ammonia, uh, more specifically running blueprints. He put them in a closet, a machine in a closet with no, with no ventilation. Um, 
But, you know, I grew up with a father, um, small architecture firm. It was he and a draftsman. Uh, he kept it small intentionally. Um, he found a niche and built a niche. And um, just being around that creativity, that entrepreneurship um, was very inspiring to me and my siblings. So I think we all have this uh, this side of us that um, we're not afraid to get out and venture out and try new things. So I've had lots of different careers, um, really landed in, enjoyed management. I got into uh, corporate America not wanting to, planning on staying at a job that I got for six, eight months because I wasn't a good waitress and this was an evening shift and really ended up at a, uh, really an incredible organization where I had lots of training, lots of opportunities to uh, advance my career, advance my um, education, and uh, but ultimately really wanted to be more in that entrepreneurial setting and um, got into human resources business partner management in the late 90s. They created these roles to have HR there available to help uh, groups within organizations. So I moved from leadership into uh, kind of an HR generalist and ended up at an architecture firm. And when I walked through the doors, it felt like home to see mm -hmm. the creativity. And, and it was a national firm, coast to coast, um, about uh, 450 architects, and uh, got real involved in the AIA Large Firm Roundtable, the HR group, and really enjoyed and still can enjoy those connections throughout the United States. And, um, and I would say 75% of my clients right now are in the A&E industry, mostly architecture. Oh, that's great. So you, you know us well. I know you well. I know the <laughs> challenges and the business model that continues to change. And really a lot of what I'm doing and helping with organizations is to make sure they're moving with that business model. Um, deadlines are tighter. Margins are smaller. Technology is increasing um, continually. The need for specialization is more important than ever. And that's just a huge shift. Um, that architecture firms are really trying to respond to. What do you find your role to be uh, as a consultant? What is the typical request of your clients? Usually something's not going on great within maybe the leadership team. Um, and, it, and I say that, and it could be um, I'm seeing a lot of um, principals who are wanting to retire in the next three years. And so what's the next um, how do they transition out of that both financially and physically and how do they bring on um, new leaders? You know, with every recession, there becomes a, a hole in um, a level of architect. And so sometimes in, in cert, at certain times, finding leaders can be difficult because they left the in industry 15, 20 years before because of a recession. Uh, so they're kind of, it's, it's, it's harder to find um, a large pool of candidates. So leadership transition, a big topic I've been having lately is how do we keep women in the firm and keep them interested um, because the architecture model um, can be burning the midnight oil and how do we balance work life. Um, so I think those are a few things that I come into. And maybe they brought a leader in uh, and people are having a hard time adjusting to that person and vice versa. So usually change is the main reason I'm brought on board. Yeah. Those subjects and, and most of your clients, I'm assuming, are larger firms, correct? 
Um, yeah, I would say um, right now the average is probably between 100 and 150. Yeah, mm -hmm. but but those subjects that you that you talked about, leadership transition and women in architecture, work-life balance, those are the same topics that my audience talks about all the time. Yes. Um, I, and, and so it's very interesting that the small firms and the large firms are talking about the same issues. Um, do you find that, and I, and, I, and, I, and I hear this often in my community, um, that architects don't really plan for that future transition? That mm. they just sort of start a business and they, even, even the large firms, they just build it into this, this big business and they never really plan for that time where they want to retire. They don't start cultivating the, the people below them. They don't have systems in place for those things to happen. Is that, do you see that happening in the larger firms? You know, I see, I, and, and even in the, in the smaller firms, because I do some work there, I mean, entrepreneurs as, um, you know, if, if, you, if you get into your field because you love the, the field and the industry, you're not getting in just for money. You know, some entrepreneurs are chasing uh, the trend. But if you're getting in for what you love, I find most entrepreneurs aren't planning to, for the future. They're going to work it as long as they can, and they haven't thought of selling it or succession planning or or anything like that. I think one of the biggest challenges I see with architects um, and architect leaders is they continue to try to do everything and have their thumb on everything, in particular with smaller, but I will tell you it's the same way in larger ones. And they have a slew of people behind them that are ready to step forward and take on some of those responsibilities if they would just take a little bit of a risk in handing that over, giving some clear expectations and teaching them as they're handing it over and people will rise to the occasion. But I have um, a lot of leaders and, and even in a large firm, it's really a bunch of small firms within that. So you may have an office that's smaller, you know, a 150 person firm in an office with 20, 15, 20, 10. Um, and the leaders are trying to do everything. Uh, so it's so a transition from that architect subject matter expert to the arc, you know, to the leader and, and um, it's the funny part is when I talk to leaders about that, I say, what was the age that you had just a tremendous amount of responsibility? Um, it really was, you know, the project was all on your shoulders. And typically they'll say late 20s, early um, 30s. But unfortunately, when they're not willing to give those people in their firm as they're growing, you know, at that age, that level of responsibility that they had and they made it work and it worked great. Yeah, and I think that that architects specifically, being creative people, um, they don't want to give that up. They don't want to mm. give up the design. They don't want to give up the creativity to run the business and do the things that they need to do to run businesses. Um, which you know, if if they created the systems and built a team, they could continue to design. They could put people in the places to to do those management uh, positions. Um, but like you said. We're, we, we tend to want to do everything. We want to have control of the whole process. And that creates a lot of stress. Yes. Uh, and that's really what I want to talk about because I think that at large firms and at small firms, especially at this period of, of time, in this, in this period of, of uh, constant uh, information and communication and technology, uh, we're just overwhelmed with information and expectations and responsibility and uh, and it, it, it's it's going to come to a breaking point. We're either going to fix it, or we're all going to snap. Mm -hmm. And so, um, let's talk about that a little bit. What what? Let's start with what causes it, 
Mm-hmm. Uh, how, how do we get there? Because I don't think any of us plan to, to do that when we become architects to, to put ourselves in those positions. And then we can talk about maybe what some things are that we can do to, to help alleviate some of that stress. No, I think, and I think that's a good, good point. I mean, when we become uh, owners of our firm, um, we don't think through, boy, this is going to be fun. I'm going to have to spend this many hours on invoicing and marketing and an RFP. You know, I was listening to an architect the other day that said that the business comes to me. It's great. But if I have to do an RFP, uh, you know, in many years in business, that that's a challenge. So I think what happens is it creeps on us. And being the controlled people where you say, I hear a lot of, it's just easier for me to just to, to do it real quick than to, tr- to, than to delegate it out. But I think hiring support or getting extra support's really important. Um, and what happens is there's early signs. I mean, the ultimate is burnout. And when you get the extreme level of burnout, um, mentally and physically, the recovery time is very, very difficult. And sometimes it just can't happen. People have to leave. And I'm dealing with, you know, a couple of principals who continue to get themselves in that place. When you're in extreme stress, your body um, uh, takes over. And I say when I say take o- takes over, you, your, your body starts breaking down. Your creativity is diminished. Problem solving is dis- diminished. Uh, perspective is all but gone. So what happens is, and you know, if you have a partner or spouse or someone in the firm that can help you saying, you need to slow down. And, and unfortunately for architecture, that's a badge of courage. It starts in school where you're working overnight. Um, and um, I think not only in architecture, but other fields we're finding, um, it doesn't make sense. And it's not good for you. It's not good for your client. It's not good for your employees to be so stressed out. Um, but a lot of times they don't feel like they have a choice. And really, you have to have a plan of action together um, to be able to. And, and, and often just getting that plan of action reduces stress considerably, uh, but then sort of acting on it. So you've got to get control perspective of the situation. That's where I'm often stepping in and helping, um, you know, to tell someone you're, you're stressed out, you're burned out this is really getting serious, it turns out to be a relief for a person to hear that because they intuitively know that maybe their partner's been telling them that. But um, it's, um, you know, it's finally saying, you're right, I need to do something. Um, and some can do things, something about it, and often others don't. They just fall right back into that groove. Yeah, I think, and I know, and, and we all know, that the architecture has this culture of, of, uh, of doing it all and staying up late. It starts in, in architecture school, although that's changing. The, A, the AIAS, the, the student organization, AIAS, um, has been working on an initiative for several years now of trying to, to change that culture in studios. They have an, a, a whole contract that they have students sign that say they're not going to do that. Um, my, I had a personal experience in, in my architecture school where I had a, one of my classmates was killed and during fifth year, during that studio crush where he didn't sleep and he drove home and he had a head-on collision and died. Oh. And so it, it, it's very, very real and that has to change. And I think, and I think that is changing with students, uh, but that's the next generation. I think this generation uh, that's here now um, that that's my age in their forties and up as far as retirement, 
have that mentality that we need to just keep working and working and working and working. Um, and we keep adding on these new things because, you know, with technology and with with the availability of all the possibilities, um, we keep taking on more and more and more. And, and we find ourselves in this place where we have too much, we're doing too much. Uh, and that, that burnout is real. You know, that's not something that's, that's not a euphemism. Uh, my, my tongue's not working today. Um, <laughs> that is a real thing. That is, yes. you know, you get to the point in your level of stress which I have felt with, felt and have, have, have been dealing with myself with the things that I'm trying to accomplish. It's a physical thing that happens to your body and that if you don't fix it, which I'm in the process of fixing, um, both mentally and you know, with, the, with the amount of work that's on my tables, um, you'll get to the point where you won't be able to work anymore. Right. Uh, you'll have to leave or you'll, you'll you know, have a mental breakdown. Yeah. I mean, the, the stress on the body and we see, um, uh, they talk anything from heart disease to diabetes and those types of things is stress. But when stress moves into burnout, there's, there becomes sort of a dulling of senses. So uh, where there can be a lot of, and, and, and not all stress is bad. I mean, we thrive on really good stress where we're all pulling together, but prolonged stress obviously is the problem and the level of stress. Um, and you can't always see it on everyone. One, one principal I'm working with, you would never know he was stressed. And he very calmly says, I'm really almost at the breaking hmm. point. This is, you know, so no one would see or know. So everything that he's keeping inside, but certainly burnout will, uh, starts dulling the senses where you, you don't care anymore. Um, and again, it's your body's way of coping with everything that's coming its way. And um, while there can be sort of depression, usually stress, there's more anxiety. Uh, when you start getting to burnout, uh, depression starts kicking in. Um, but there really is a point, um, and I've seen people be suicidal um, and really giving up all hope. And, and part of the moving from stress to burnout is their perspective is really, really off. And the article that you reference, and I spoke to this young leader who was just great and, and was so enthusiastic and was scared to death every single day that he wasn't going to be seen as competent when all of his peers and his leaders saw him as a really great leader and someone, you know, that uh, as an example. But his, his life was inside his head was a living hell. And more mostly, and um, the first people to be affected by this as family and kids. I mean, he was so stressed out and having to do everything so perfect. He wasn't spending time with his kids. His poor wife was, you know, hearing this over and over again. Oftentimes when I'm doing a coaching session, I'll say, you need to schedule a one-on-one activity with your child in the next two weeks. What is it that your child likes? Um, you need to schedule that with them and leave your phone at home. And I will tell you that is one of the biggest shifts that I see. The other is you got to get outside. You got to get out in nature, whatever you like, whether it's a bike, whether it's hiking, running, fishing, uh, you got to get outside um, because nature has just a really great way of putting perspective into everything. Yeah, even just a simple walk will change everything. Oh, yes. Um, it'll change your, your perspective. It'll, it'll bring the chemicals, the good chemicals that are in your body up to your brain, and it will make everything literally look different when you yes. come back from a walk. Yeah. Um, I call it your etch-a-sketch. 
You know, if you had a, an Etch-a-Sketch full of black lines all over, the frantic lines all over that you sketched in, and the walk just shakes it up and kind of clears it out. It's as simple as that, really. Yeah, and you also you also mentioned before that, that sometimes we get into this position and we don't know how to get out of it. You right. know, that we know there's a problem. We know that we're doing too much. We know that it's self-induced. But but uh, there there may be a fear mm-hmm. that if I change it, I'm I'm going to lose some of my success, or I'm going to lose some some uh, uh, authority or credibility, um, or you just you just don't know what to do. You're just frozen. You're just in that position. So so how do you deal with some someone like that? I mean, usually when I'm talking to folks, I and whether it's an organization in stress or an individual in stress, is systemically. What's the foundational issue there? So you've got to start, you can't sort of put band-aids and certainly a walk here and there can help because it starts putting that perspective in. But what's that deep-seated fear? Because it is a lot of times fear um, that's getting in the way and helping someone sort of peel through the onion to find out what that is. But it's systemically kind of understanding. And a lot of times I'll start with what's the vision for you and your company? What is that, that higher vision? And what's exciting is, you know, um, and it's not just the young, you know, when we talk about the younger generation, there are kids and we're the ones that have said, you need to volunteer, you need to spend more time at, you know, we're trying to teach them the things that we know is important, even though we didn't follow it. So, you know, intuitively, they're, they're following some of our feelings, kind of some of our lead, but, um, Let's see, where was I going with that thought? Um, how, how do you get out of yeah. this o- overall, overall? So so really it is, you know, what is the vision for yourself and your family and your firm and your future? Because that's a very settling thing. And what I'm finding is, you know, architects want to make the world a better place. Um, and they know through great design. Uh, and I'm a testament of that. I'm in a contemporary home that was built 10 years ago. And I don't have... Uh, winter blues anymore because the light's so fantastic in this place. So we know, you know, as architects, you know you can make a difference. And if that's kind of what's guiding you, some of these other stresses and all fall to the side. And if you kind of keep to, what is my vision? What do I, you know, at, at the end of the day when I'm gone, what's out there that I've done and how has that impacted folks? That has a very freeing um, experience for folks to understand, okay, then I need to stop stressing about this and I need to stop stressing on this and make sure my energy is focused on that. Uh, because a lot of times that focus is just sort of starts dissipating because of the stress of all the other things. It's the example that I use in the article that you're in a house and you think there's thunderstorms and tornadoes and flash floods outside and the birds are singing and the sun is shining. And, you know, when you look at those, ex- those experiences that you had, those buildings that you created, um, that's, that's what you're here for. And, you know, being able to focus on that and doing better and better, um, with that, um, if, if you can get your focus there, which you can, uh, that starts putting perspective on things. Yeah, I totally agree. I, well, I, I do a lot of coaching with my community as well. And, and, and one of the things that I repeat over and over and over again, because architects don't do this, uh, is to create a plan, to create, mm. a, and I call it a life plan. It's not just a business plan. The business plan that. is part of your life plan. But, but, and it doesn't need to be this big, long, uh, overwhelming document. It could be one or two pages. 
Mm. And it's and I start with a vision narrative. What do you want your life to be in three to five years from now? Or what if what would you like your life to be today? If your life is crazy, what's the perfect life? And write that and write it as this creative story. And don't worry about limits. And there's you know no limits with money. There's no limits with reality. Just write a story uh, about what your life would be like if it was perfect, if it was everything you wished it would be. And then work your way backwards. Take that vision narrative and create a vision statement for your life. And then create a, a, a mission for your life, which is your why. What's your why? why? Why are you doing all of this? It may be your family. It may be legacy. It may be whatever. But what's, what's that why? And then create some goals that, that will get you to that position of, of that vision and that, that mission. And then create an action. And I don't necessarily uh, prescribe. I used to say, let's do an action plan and set up the entire list of actions. Now I, I propose just to create the next action. Don't worry about the second action. Just what's the first action? What's the next best action you can take to get to that goal for each of your goals and have a goal set for every part of your life? You can have social goals and, and personal goals and, and spiritual goals and business goals and all of those should be part of that life plan. And then you have that document. And then then we can go back to what we were talking about is is that document now is created. And it and it could you could write that in one day. And you can when you get crazy and overwhelmed and all of this stuff is in your head and you're upset, there's just too much going on, you can pull that document out and you I can love read that. it. And you can say, Oh, that's what I'm doing. That's yeah. why I'm here. And here's what's important. And these other things that I'm really crazy and stressed about aren't so important. So I need to find a way to get away from those things. Yes. I and, love that. And so yeah. that, and then on a ma micro level, you can also create a list because sometimes we get overwhelmed with just all the things that we're thinking in our head. And so if you can just write it all down, just a master list, just, just, just have it all come out of your head and put it on paper or in an Evernote notebook uh, and just write everything, anything that comes to your mind, just write it down and get it out of your head onto a piece of paper. And that will also instantly help you feel better. Yes. Because you're not repeating all of those things that you think you need to remember. It's now documented on a piece yeah. of paper. And so those two things are the things that help me most uh, when I'm doing the things that I'm doing and I start feeling those overwhelming, overwhelming feelings. That's a great process. It's a really well-rounded process. I like not only work, but spiritual and family. And I love those pieces. And one of the things that we know is um, there's a point of diminishing returns. So they say if you have 20 goals, you'll, you won't accomplish any. Right. If you have 10, you won't accomplish any. Um, it's, you know, five, maybe you'll get one. So really keeping at, at one time, and you can, you can start ticking those off and going back to your list. But what's the one thing? Let's start with that. Yep. And then I've got that. And make sure that one thing is a really good kind of foundational piece uh, when I go into organizations, I'll say, "What's if we fixed one thing? What would what would um, reduce the stress level the most? What's the one thing?" And that's typically some systemic stuff. So we'll we'll talk about that. If we had this in place, if we had this financial system in place, or this technology system, or if we had someone that could take care of this, you know, what's the one thing? And typically, what I find is they'll say that would free up. Typically, I hear thirty percent of our time. Yeah. If you find that. That's going to 30% of my stress, 30% of my time. That's enormous. Um, you know, and I think the other thing is you were talking too about the future is um, who's a role model for you? So who out there, um, and, and that's where, especially as these generations go on and, and we have a lot of wise people out there, who's, who's a role model 
um, that you can kind of pick their brain and emulate, um, I think is important. You know, my father, I just visited him last weekend and he's in, we don't call it a nursing home. I'm trying to think what they call them these days, a retirement community. He got to the point where he's just not very mobile, but, um, he was an architect during uh, downtimes, he'd buy and sell houses um, and, and made some money there. And then with some of those buildings, he would rent. Um, so as a businessman, he was really smart. Then he started writing an article for a local magazine on uh, historic homes. He was really into historic homes. He's from Tulsa, Oklahoma, which in the oil boom, there's just phenomenal homes in that, um, in that city and surrounding cities because of all the money. So he started writing an article um, on a house. Well, then he compiled all the articles and started writing books. He has over a dozen books that he's written um, in his own in his own um, voice um, and a lot of the history of the families that built it. Then he started painting. Well, um, a weekend before last at his retirement home, you know, he's and he would do bus tours of the historic neighborhoods. He was in the room at the retirement facility with a room full of wheelchairs <laughs> and the guy's still talking about architecture yeah. and still talking. So, you know, when I think of, you know, an example of you can spend your whole life and keep reinventing and doing things. He has art exhibits to show his artwork. It can be never ending. So who is that person that sort of inspires you um, in life? that you can keep looking to that person as as an inspiration yeah that's so true and and mentors to have have oh. somebody that you can mm -hmm. talk to yes uh, and coaches you know if if you if you don't have a mentor find a coach mm -hmm. and just and just talk you know it doesn't even have to be a specific thing just just schedule a weekly or a monthly call and just talk just yeah. just talk about all the things that are going on in your mind uh, and just your process of talking through those things uh, will help. I couldn't agree more. It's getting, it's once you say it, it's out there. Yeah. And, and a lot of times, um, a lot of people are speak to think people. They, they think as they speak. Um, and they, the, the answers come as they talk through it. So a lot of times as a coach, we're just sitting there yeah. <laughs> enjoying the, you know, watching it unfold. Right. Uh, but maybe asking a couple of questions and having this person process through it. Right. And then also the accountability that comes with the coach yes. helps as well, because if you're in that position, very often, you know, the things that you need to do mm -hmm. um, and you just find reasons not to. And when yes. you when you have somebody that you can talk to, whether it's a mentor or a coach, um, they can hold you accountable because the next time you're going to talk to them, you're going to have to tell them what you did or what you didn't do. Mm -hmm. And that will help you move in the direction you want to move. And so Definitely. that's that's uh, that's very very. Uh, I love that topic. I love that subject because I think so many architects are feeling that that overwhelm and that stress. Yes. Um, and it's something that I've gone through in my career, uh, and and it, it's taken a long time to learn how to cope with it. And, and typically, wherever you're the most stressed is something that's not a strength of yours. So, um, because this, the good stress, you're not too stressed out about it. But if there's something, especially if you're as a leader of your firm, that you're getting so stressed out over, I mean, the beauty of, the, the one thing that wonderful that came out of the recession is there's so many entrepreneurs out there and there's so many small businesses. And, you know, I get, I get um, things in email all the time. We'll take care of your accounting or take care of the marketing or get, offload it. Get someone who really knows how to do it and wants to do it. 
you can do it very inexpensively. I mean, there's lots of um, different, uh, and especially when it comes to social media, a lot of young, brilliant people out there. But if it's the things that are causing us the most stress are the things we're not so good at. Uh, and we put them off and we procrastinate and uh, we put, put it together half-heartedly, um, get help. I mean, for sure, there's no reason today that you can't get folks to help with these different parts of your business. Yeah. Um, if you think about it, that's when then you'll spend your time out business developing, working with clients, nurturing those relationships that you love so much. So get rid of the stuff that you don't have to be doing and really doesn't make any sense for you to be doing. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and I say so often, you know, build your business so it's a successful business, you know, yeah. and, and, and I talk often and, and people sort of cringe when I say this, but I say profit then art, because mm. if you can create a business that's profitable, and is running smoothly and, and has all the systems in place, everything will be better. Your stress will be lower. You'll be able to focus on your creativity. You'll be focused on your art and you'll be able to be that architect that you dreamed you could be mm -hmm. because the systems are in place. But so often we don't do that. So often we just focus on the art and we don't focus on the profit. And, uh, and that creates that, that overwhelm. Um, yeah, I, I was helping a client the other day um, it's a nonprofit that I spend my time working on, and they're getting ready to move. And the leader was so stressed out because there was so much to do and decisions to be made on design. And I said, "Listen, I would, you know, let me give you my time to do that. I love working with interior designers. Um, let me take over." I mean, I just thought, "What a fun project!" And as we sat down, and they had been a couple of months into it, and um, I said, "What's the budget? Have you talked to?" You know, she gave me the budget. And I, and what I found out was the interior designer didn't ask, what's your budget? <laughs> and so they were coming up with these solutions. And I thought, and this is a, you know, this was a pretty, you know, this wasn't a, this interior design company been around for a while. It's like, you got to know that to know what kind of design solutions you need to come up with. But, and that was causing stress for the head of the nonprofit. But I was amazed that you mean that wasn't one of the first conversations? Yeah. What right. size and space? What do you need? What's the budget? Um, and once they knew the budget, it's no big deal. But as a as a company, as the interior design studio, you need to be up there having that conversation with them. And um, and I think that's happening. That happens more times than not. Yeah. Uh, and and we know with architecture. Uh, and even as an entrepreneur myself, I'll, I'll spend more if there's a reason to spend more. But here's sort of what I had in my head. And maybe you need to educate me why it, it's going to need to be a lot more. But having understanding that money part and going there, that's where I see architecture firms get in such, so much stress is they've ended up um, agreeing to a project that financially doesn't make any sense. Yeah. Yeah. And then that and that creates a problem for everybody. Creates yes. a problem for the client and it creates a problem for you and your firm. Yes. Um, both emotionally and, yes. and financially. Yes. And that's, yeah. and that's a breakdown in systems, that there's no system in place for, for those questions to be asked. Yeah. Um, and it's not hard to do. You know, it's a, no. check, it's a checklist that you create that says, these are the questions that I need to ask before we start. Well, and you've got those great forms that you provide. I was just, yeah. I love that idea. And I think a lot of industries need it, except besides architecture. Here's, here's a form already put together. Let me make it my own, add to it. I mean, that, you know, that the time that you took to put those together that people can 
have readily available as a gift. So I think that was a brilliant idea. Yeah, thank you. If, if anybody's interested in those, that's, that's the foundations documents and you could find information on them at entrearchitect.com slash foundations. And that's a, that's 50 plus forms of the forms and business forms and checklists that I created for my own firm, five cat studio, uh, that, that run my firm. And so rather than creating your own, I put them out there. The architects can, can purchase the package and, and modify them and edit them to be their own and have them ready to go within a couple of minutes. Yeah. Great idea. Yeah. Thank you, Jane. Thank you for being with me today. Hey, this is great. Yeah. I, uh, I look forward to more, uh, partnerships as we go forward with Shrek Group. That's kind of an exciting model. So yeah. uh, thanks for having me on. And board. I'd love to have you come back because I'd love to talk about some of those other subjects like uh, leadership transition and women in architecture. And those are subjects that, that my community are struggling with as well. And I'd love to have those conversations as well. So if you'd I'd like, we can, we can do this again. Great. I would love it. Your, your world on the internet is janewaltonconsulting.com. So if anybody wants to contact you or see what you're doing, they can go to Jane Walton, uh, janewaltonconsulting.com. Uh, you're on Twitter at jwaltonconsult. Uh, on Facebook at facebook.com slash janewaltonconsulting. Um, and before we, we wrap up, I want to ask you one last question. Um, what's the one thing that a leader of a small firm can do today that will help them be more successful tomorrow? I think it's getting a really clear vision of who they want, uh, who they are, who they want to be as a leader, and what they want to provide a firm. Having that vision that's inspiring um, and really thinking through that, that's, that's the water that makes the grass grow. Yeah, having clarity yes. and understanding where you want to go. It's so important. Yep. So thank you for your dedication you. to our profession. And thank you for sharing your knowledge here at the Entrepreneur Architect podcast today. Thanks so much for having me. I love that episode. I, I think that so many of us are experiencing what we talked about today, about this stress and overwhelm. And, and, I, and I suspect there are a few of you that, that right are on the brink of, of burnout because I, I know that feeling. The, the things that I'm trying to accomplish here at Entrepreneur Architect and Five Cat Studio and my family, you know, things got to change, you know, and, uh, and things are going to change here. So that's, I'm, that's, that's a good thing. You know, don't worry about me. I got things under control. I recognize what's going on and I understand what I need to do. And, and, and I'm in the process of doing that. And, and I've talked about that in the past. So if you like this episode, I want you to go to iTunes right now at entrearchitect.com slash iTunes will take you right there. Or if you're in iTunes, you can just search for Entrepreneur Architect and you'll find us. And I'd love to hear your thoughts on this episode or any other episode. But even more important to me than that review is that you share this episode with a friend, especially this episode. I think this is a very important issue that we need to talk about. I think we need to talk about this stress and overwhelm that many of us are feeling because this is not just, you know, some feelings. This is serious, serious stuff that turns into really serious, serious stuff. So share this episode, entrearchitect.com slash episode 88. That will uh, get you a link to this podcast episode. And you can just send that out to your friends by email or, or share it on a tweet on Twitter or post it on Facebook. Please share the podcast with everybody you know. And I appreciate everything you do for me here at Entre Architect, especially spreading the word about what we're doing here on the podcast. 
Complete show notes and a direct link. If you wanted to download this episode, you can find that at entrearchitect.com slash episode 88. And just as a reminder, this episode was brought to you by and is brought to you by the Entree Architect Report. That's my free weekly newsletter. It's free and it's very, very popular and very valuable. When you subscribe, I send you a short, easy to read email every Friday morning. It goes right into your inbox and it has direct links to both the weekly blog article and uh, each weekly podcast episode. So this episode, if you're subscribed, will find it your way, its way into your inbox uh, this Friday. So you'll never miss a thing if you're subscribed. So share a, uh, I also share a weekly resource uh, that helps you build your business. So in addition to those links, I also share some, some interesting links to, to, uh, that might better your life or your business or help you be more productive. And I share a little personal note, sort of a quick letter from me to you uh, that shares sort of the personal things that I'm going through and, and behind the scenes life uh, of a small firm architect. So if you're not already a subscriber, and I know many of you are, I have 4,000 subscribers to that newsletter. If you're not, you're missing out. So go right now to entrearchitect.com slash newsletter and sign up for that newsletter. And Friday, I'll send you a little gift. My name is Mark Arlapage, and I am an entrepreneur architect, and I suspect you are too. Thanks for listening. I'll see you next week. I've mentioned it to my family, but in terms of telling people like, oh yeah, we're doing this, I'm looking for projects. You got anything? Yeah. I'm, I'm not there yet because it scares the out of me. Dreaming of launching your own architecture firm? Well, we'll buckle up for a wild ride with Emerging, the podcast that shares what it's really like to start an architecture firm. Where do we begin? We don't even know what type of business to formalize as. Is it an LLC? Is it an LLP? Like how are taxes? I mean, the list is astronomical. Season one featured founders Jeffrey, Lexi, and Chris, owners of Level Studio Architecture, are your fearless guides on this unfiltered journey from napkin sketches to a thriving studio. One evening, stumbled into one last dive, we sat at the bar and pondered our postgraduate futures. Amidst the conversation, a napkin became the canvas for our aspirations, sketching plans and milestones, sealing our heartfelt commitment and shared dreams. In drawing down dreams on a napkin collectively, that <laughs> then, you know, in your head, you've rooted like, oh, I'm connected to these people, like long term. The process of starting an architecture practice brims with excitement and challenges, demanding meticulous planning, flawless execution, and unyielding resilience. I kind of hate the term because it's so overly used, but I think everybody knows imposter syndrome. And I think it's it's so real to this day. I, I, I don't know if it's with everybody, but with me, I'm always questioning like us, can we do this? Are we ready to do this? Are we prepared? Can we do it? Did we just decide a name? <laughs> we did it guys. Oh my One that God. came out of nowhere. Woo! It came out of nowhere. I liked it. I saw it. Ready to turn your aspirations into reality? Follow the link in the show notes to subscribe to Emerging and chart your own path to architectural success. Call. 
calling all small firm architects. It's time to tap into your full potential with Entree Architects Context and Clarity, where inspiration meets innovation. Hey, it's Mark Arlapage, founder of Entree Architect, and I'm inviting you to join my two favorite co-hosts, Jeff Eccles and Katie Kangas, as they bring together authors, experts, and thought leaders for electric conversations with entrepreneur architects around the globe. It's not just a podcast. It's a community where dreams meet action. There's a simple equation there. And what for me, what that did, just doing that basic calculation was it allowed me to compare what I had actually saved in my retirement accounts to what I thought a possible projected annual spend might be. Artists are temperamental, so beautiful design is going to be a priority. When the job is done, we're going to actually need to live in the house, not live with the person who designed it. <laughs> and so for me, the, the artistic skill, the architectural skill is most important. And so I would say like that would be 60% of it, if not more. Gain insights to build a successful practice. Subscribe, engage, and let's redefine your future together. Join the Context and Clarity community, where every conversation adds to your blueprint for success.